listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right, Jeff. So we're going to start off this episode by me acknowledging something, which is that I don't have any plan whatsoever for this podcast episode. Is that a problem? That's kind of how you go through life, isn't it? <laughs> and that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> so, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about problems, the, the typical problems that firms make when they're developing plans, strategic plans, business plans. I guess we're not being real specific on that, but but essentially it's planning season. In fact, I was interacting with a content leader for a, a software company and this woman has been in planning cycles all day, every day for weeks. And so there are companies that are sort of like spun sideways on planning right now. So let's talk about that. What are the mistakes that firms make when it comes to developing successful plans and how does it hurt them? Well, I created a plan to discuss planning mistakes. <laughs> I know how many there are. More than we fair hope to imagine, right? Yes. And there are five, but well, we're going to talk about five and and. I think it's funny the way you just gave that example. There are some firms that seem to start planning six, seven, eight months in advance of the next cycle, if you will. And it is unbelievable the range of planning approaches I've seen in firms. You know, from these extremes, six, seven months out, you start planning for any number of reasons to others, and I'm sure you have clients like this, they don't even do plans, <laughs> you know, <laughs> go out and grow. So anyway, I think this is timely. Most firms are probably coming to the end of their planning cycle. Some may say, you know, too little, too late. Some may say, why didn't you launch this thing back in June? But I think it is an evergreen topic and it's important for people to understand. So we're going to do it. So Let's jump in. Yeah, full disclosure, you built a list. It's a good list and I'm going to totally jump all over it. I mean, up and down it. The reason I'm going to do this is because sort of towards the bottom, you have a load on budgets. So so building budgets incrementally. And one of the first things that come to mind for me is that our budgets and planning even tied at the hip, meaning that I've seen firms where like budgets are due in October or something, but the planning work doesn't really even happen until November, December. So the budget has to be submitted a month before the plan is even going to be developed which seems crazy, right? So let's talk about that. So it seems to me that budgeting is a place where firms run awry frequently, and you've got some thoughts on this. Well, that's an excellent point. They are inextricably linked, but one often does precede the other. I think just given the logistical requirements of finance and closing the books and hiring and paying bonuses and and all of that stuff. And then, you know, even planning for for next year, so much of a budget in firms is people related. So I understand that. To some degree, though, I think the best firms do them together because you can't achieve strategic objectives without allocating (laughs) resources to it. And money is, is a big resource. And money pays for people and programs and all that stuff. So they are really important to be done in conjunction with one another. But the mistake that I think that gets made in planning isn't necessarily just the timing and general allocation. The problem is not thinking critically about the investments 
and what kind of return they're actually having on achieving the strategic outcomes. In most firms, you know, marketing and, and, and sales and the practices tend to avoid or don't have a capability of actually assessing the ROI of, of some of these investments. So what ends up happening is they do what they've always done. They do what a partner wants to do for whatever rationale, and generally it's not ROI directly tied to, to revenue or some other strategic goal. And there are sacred cows that nobody wants to kill because you're going to burn, if you will, bridges or political capital to kill some of those things. So what ends up happening is budgets just kind of incrementally change. We'll do a little of this. We'll do a little of that. Take it up three or four percent and, you know, maybe move some of these chess pieces around a little. But there's nothing that significant happens. I think what firms should do more often is approach budgeting from either an activity-based perspective tied to some specific metric of ROI or just do zero-based and start with the assumption. If we started all over knowing what we know now, would we invest in this program or this function or this capability and then rebuild from there? But most firms just don't do that. But I've found that is the most effective way to allocate resources to a strategic plan. So many things I want to dig under on that but I also know we, we're trying to cover off a lot of mistakes in one episode. So let's jump back to the top because planning is about choices. And right out of the gate, you said the first mistake firms make is they just don't make strategic choices. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about what you see firms do in that regard. I often use the term the tyranny of choice kills firms because they're matrixed, because they're partnerships. It's very hard to make hard choices. Again, because nobody wants to burn political capital. So there's a live and, and let live, you know, kind of attitude that occurs. But when you're trying to grow a firm by its very definition, and, and this is business strategy 101, you have to make strategic choices. And most firms just give a number to the practice and say, hey, I need you to give me 10% more this year, 15%, or you're a mature industry. If you can give me three, I'd be ecstatic or something like that. And then they allocate budget, people focus based on how big the line of business or practice is. When what they should be doing is making strategic choices and agreeing to what practices are a priority? Which ones do we need to be investing in now and, and for the future? Same with clients and prospects. There are better clients and better prospects. They aren't all the same, but anybody who pays the bills is a good enough client in most firms. So they're not strategically thinking about clients and they end up working with clients that don't value the value that the firm provides. There's a lot of rework. You know, there's problems that develop. Um, there's no synergies with the, the rest of the business. There's no scale. And it just starts to be sand in the gears of the machine. These are problems that 
lead to a firm not realizing its full potential. So they could use the approach that most firms do, and they'll grow. They may grow at the industry growth rate, but they're not going to grow beyond that rate because they're not making those choices. So what I hear you saying is that firms really need to allocate resources based on future growth potential, really where they see the best opportunities for the firm, where it's most relevant, and where growth, they expect growth to come from, not based on size of revenue or scale of a practice or or even legacy decisions. What comes to mind is I had a client once, and I'm not going to give all the details to spare the innocent, but it was a pretty large engineering firm that had a program it did every year on utility rates, and I won't give all the details. And it was a pretty costly program, but, but they basically would assess all the rates across multiple state region and publish the findings for for public utilities to see. All well and good, except that they didn't really have any rate setting or financial related services to provide. <laughs> so incredibly valuable piece of content to the, the people that used it, but it didn't really lead to any services or expertise that the firm brought to market. So it was like one of those programs that really should have been killed, but you know, based on for reasons one and two of your problem and problem matrix, it just came back every year. <laughs> so so let's mm-hmm. let's knock down another one. So that's mm-hmm. that's t- so so firms aren't making choices. They're they're not budgeting really very effectively. What what are other reasons planning goes wrong? One of the major ones to me is not setting clear goals outside of just a pure revenue number. It's almost cliche, I think, but Revenue is the result of something. It's not necessarily where we need to put our primary focus. And the best firms, to me, understand that the revenue will come if they're the systems and, and the things that they're measuring are the precursors to revenue. So by focusing on those metrics that lead to more revenue, you're able to, I think, more intelligently and more effectively attack or pull the levers that actually impact revenue. So, you know, we we can look at any number of metrics and it differs by firm because every firm, given its, its culture and its maturity and competitive landscape and capabilities is going to have to focus on a different number potentially. But I mean, looking at pipeline or the velocity of deals moving through the pipeline or the number of opportunities coming in from marketing into the pipeline or close rates or market share or churn, those are all important metrics that lead to revenue. But oftentimes, if they get looked at, they get looked at from a cursory perspective, or they're not emphasized in terms of what is it that we need to change about this? Why are we sub-optimized? Why are our sales cycles so long? Why is our closing rate not higher? Why don't we have more marketing qualified leads? Asking those types of questions to me and what drives those metrics 
leads to more actionable insights. And in the planning process, if you decide what those metrics are, you're able to create hypothesis around why they are suboptimal and begin attacking them and testing ideas and learning from those ideas throughout the year. Because the whole plan is really nothing more than a hypothesis (laughs) to say, I think we could drive more revenue if we were to pull these levers, but we can't pull these levers effectively because of these things. Therefore, this is how we're going to attack those things. And then as we pull those levers, here's the feedback mechanism for the learning and how we're going to refine throughout the year so that we're getting better throughout the year. So let me ask you a follow-on question. So everything you said made total sense and seems, like you said, sort of, I don't want to say obvious because that's not really the case, but but looking beyond revenue to more leading indicators makes tons of sense for all of us. Why doesn't it happen? What blocks that from happening in your experience? Boy, a couple of things. One is an inability to measure a given metric. And that can be the result of bad systems, bad technology, bad CRM, bad marketing automation. It could be bad data, you know, a culture of optionality where consultants or individuals are not inputting information that's required to make smarter decisions. Or by looking at that metric, you can hone in on who's not performing well. And you know, people don't want a light shined on their performance like that, particularly if the culture of the firm is not one of learning and mutual support and, you know, getting better. But if it's just, hey, you're the problem, nobody's going to want that light shined on them. Those are just some of the reasons I've seen. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. All right, let's shift gears. And actually, it feels like a perfectly natural segue into culture. One of the items you have on this list here is about alignment. So it's it's not just about setting the plan. It's actually aligning against execution. So let's talk about that. And culture is a big, big part of that. So let's, let's talk about that piece of it, because maybe that goes hand in hand with, with setting metrics. The other thing I thought that was fascinating as you spoke was every metric you defined was obviously all client-facing, outwardly-facing metrics. And it would seem to me that there ought to be inwardly-facing metrics as well in, a, in an effective plan, wouldn't there? I mean, especially in a firm of some reasonable size. For example? Oh, something around employee engagement, knowledge development, training, things that develop the people of the firm and in turn develop the culture of the firm to be more competitive and more successful? No, none of that's relevant. (laughs) Why would you ever need that stuff? (laughs) That's what I was uh, alluding to in answering your your last question. You're spot on. No, you're spot on. Because because that is the measure of, you know, organizational health, right? You cannot produce those outward driven results if internally, you know, your culture and your people are not healthy and engaged, professional services in the SaaS world where 
you know, knowledge is king and expertise is what drives so much of what we do. You have to make sure that you are getting the absolute most out of your people, the best thinking, you know, the best service delivery. It's funny. I had a call today with a sales rep. I took some of our medicine from one of our recent guests and had a call with a sales rep from a SaaS platform that operates in the ABM space. I'll just say that. I won't give all the details, but we were talking about their partner programs, just a little bit about kind of how they're working with agencies and, and external consultants. And one of the things that was interesting to me was that the company had made a strategic choice to sort of pivot away from smaller businesses towards really predominantly large enterprise customers. And I was interacting with a sales rep inside the partner program. And you could just very clearly tell in that conversation that he was not too excited about this. And it was like, he wasn't really sure what his role was now because they were shifting the, the nature of the partner program, but the information wasn't clear. And how he was supposed to be involved wasn't entirely clear to him. And he wasn't really sure what his his goals were. So it was just like, it was really fascinating because you can just imagine in the planning cycle, someone laid out the strategy. Oh my gosh, I've been looking at this and it turns out all of our revenue comes from those enterprise clients. We need to pivot the whole organization there. But there's not a whole lot of thought going into execution at the lowest levels of the organization, the people facing the partners in this case and interacting with them. And so it just shows that shows that hole that just struck me as, as you were telling the story, I feel like I just saw this firsthand today. Wasn't looking for it, but I just happened to see it you know, oddly. So it just seems that, and we talked about this in setup. It seems to me that when you go through a planning process, you go, and I've done this myself, but you, know, you, you schedule offsites and you do three or four days of offsites or however many, how much time you need and it's all this, you know, big strategic planning. And then there's like 30 minutes left on day five to, to talk about who's going to do what, when. And the implementation is completely ignored. And it seems to me that if culture eats strategy for breakfast, as they say, shouldn't we put a lot more time against strategy implementation <laughs> in a planning cycle than, than we do? We got time for one and we have one left. So you put in here, not defining a thought leadership agenda. So let's, let's dive into that one before we wrap. Well, getting back to my earlier point about engagement of employees and your people, expertise drives professional services. The best firms understand this. We just spent a week with you and Bob Bidet at the profiting from thought leadership. To me, it just came through in every presentation there that you cannot find anyone in a professional services firm that will say, oh, thought leadership is not important, right? And marketing loves to say we're thought leaders or, or whatever, but the fact of the matter is most firms are not by its very definition. And most firms just kind of keep going along and, and doing whatever. And I just had a conversation with a firm like this. And the firm was filled primarily with academics, PhDs, right? And they have an intellectual property committee, partners who come together, and they kind of talk about what the priorities are going to be. And the priorities are based on, well, what do I want to talk about, right? And it's very much that academic mindset of, well, I have an interest in this. I'm going to talk about that. Well, my client kind of brought this up and that's of interest to me. So therefore I'm going to talk about that. And that's better than nothing at all. But the top firms, when they're doing planning, they're laying out an intellectual capital agenda that includes understanding their markets, 
articulating a point of view, but also translating into, you know, research and development of, of new solutions. And in the plan, what most organizations don't do is they don't understand what and why certain thought leadership needs to be done in order to move the ball again against those strategic metrics in terms of accomplishing bigger goals. So, and we've talked about, you know, brand awareness versus brand relevance, but thought leadership is either protecting or building brand relevance against those prioritized practices and markets and prospects that we're going after. And those are some of the most important strategic choices that that have to get made to execute against, you know, the strategic choices. And it's the second thing we talked about. And like the other clear goals and budget is, you know, how are we going to allocate resources against this thought leadership agenda? You know, because this is billable time. And in order to get it out into a very noisy market, you know, we need to make certain investments. And then to your point, you know, just producing a white paper doesn't give us much, right? We need to drive that through the organization. And we talked about this in the Challenger Sale and, you know, the Sales Enablement podcast, we talk about equipping people to use it to actually sell. So that thought leadership agenda to me aligns up and down and it is the bridge from the strategic to the tactical. And gosh, as I think about it, so many of our our podcasts really talk about that. And that's sales and marketing's job, right? to manage up and to execute down against that thought leadership agenda. And there's no plan for it. Well, yeah. And it's interesting what constitutes a plan. As you know, at our conference, I did my best to give a talk on thought leadership strategy this year. And and as I kind of struggled through that talk and putting it together, and you even helped kind of coach me on it and Bob did as well. One of the things I kept coming back to was that I Frequently, what I see is the thought leadership agenda is is really a calendar of events, usually. It's a bunch of boxes, right? We, we have content we need to produce because we know we need to have content for this practice because we need to have something to say to get some leads. But really, when you step back from it, it's not really about that, is it? It's about really what's the point of view. And we had a really, one of the cool things we did at that conference was we had that panel discussion and, and it was Bob's brother, Tom, who was a former CMO of Nestle, who basically just kind of laid out this notion that, you know, you need to have something sort of counterintuitive to say that's well-grounded, of course, in fact-based information. And if you want to turn my head was basically what he was saying. And I think that's, to me, is the heart of it. It's it's really stepping back from the delivery aspects, whether it's a white paper or a webinar or a sale, a virtual event, whatever you want to produce or a podcast, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, right? It just comes down to, is there a compelling point of view here that's substantive, grounded in research, you know, fact, based information that says it's real and is counterintuitive, that they get someone to take a look and say, wait a minute, we should talk to these guys because they have something to say that we haven't seen before. And so to me, that's the heart of the, 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 of the agenda, right? It's, it's, it's getting at, do we still have a relevant and compelling point of view here? And if we don't, well, what are we going to do about it? So exactly. Well, we are, and we are running out of time. So maybe let's do this to close it out. Do you have any wise words of wisdom for anyone who is still trying to get their planning process going advice, tips on how to make sure that they have a successful experience in their year-end, next year's planning cycle? 
yes, but you have to hire me to get the answer. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah, blame us. Don't um, give that, that. That's that's good stuff. Don't give it away. <laughs> Depending on who you are and where you sit in the organization, what you can do or not do is going to be somewhat limited, right? If you're a managing partner and you're listening to this, you need to be the facilitator of you know making strategic choices and. You have to say, we're getting to this revenue number and, you know, here's your part of the number, but I need to understand from you, what are the key metrics that undergird or precede revenue? And for the practice, that will be different than sales and will be different for for marketing. But make sure that people understand what it is and what you're going to be looking at and how you're going to equip them to hit that number. You have to make strategic choices around thought thought leadership, or you have to say, we're not going to do it. We're doing something different, whatever that case may be. But there has to be some way to translate it into outcomes. And the outcome is not a white paper. The outcome is brand relevance, or it's market share, or it's you know, engagements of, of some kind, but it's not just producing a white paper. And if you really want to throw a wrench into things, if you're a managing partner, tell everybody they have to do zero-based <laughs> budgeting. Or better yet, if you're a marketer, propose your budget in terms of zero-based. That'll blow the hat off your managing partner and your CFO. If you want to take it to the next level, there's that whole notion of of profit first budgeting, right? So it's it's you budget for profit and then you build build on top of that. Yeah. And, and if you're and if you're a practice leader, have a a little humility and say, you know, maybe my practice's time has come and I'm in the twilight years of it and be willing to help someone else who's in a more nascent practice grow. I'm not saying capitulate, but if you're in a mature practice, you've lived that life cycle. You have so much wisdom to share and share it. Now, there may be another inflection point and a reinvention of your practice. That's great too. Bring that out, but substantiate it and keep it going, but be honest. And I think that's one of the most important things, uh, advice I would give is, you know, exercise some humility and honesty about what you're contributing or not contributing and try to help other people be successful and everybody will be successful then. And be decisive. And, and so to close it, I'm going to close it. <laughs> that's the end of our episode today. <laughs> I've made the decision. Thanks for your time. This was a really good conversation about the planning, and I look forward to our chat next week. All right, buddy. See ya. Bye, man. See ya. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, oh, oh.